We started the book of Job uh, three. This this is this will be our third sermon this morning from this book, and I've explained why I felt compelled to do this uh, before. And just let me say that I think it's probably one of those books in the Old Testament that everyone understands is important. It's got some really neat stuff in it and important lessons in it and, uh, and that sort of thing. But at the same time, I think maybe as a whole that it's probably a book that is misunderstood in a general sense of the word by a lot of people. Uh, so that's why we're here. I was convicted by the Holy Spirit to be here. I've tried to avoid it as much as I possibly could, but I just kept coming back to it. So... So here we are. We are still in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 13 through uh, 22 uh, this morning. And, and just remember this all is connected to what's gone forth before. There was this great assembly in heaven when all the angelic hosts came before God. And uh, Satan appeared. He was still one of the angelic hosts evidently at that time. We know he's fallen from that place at this time, that Christ has come and Christ has bound the strong, the strong man, that he no longer has audiences with God in heaven, that he's restricted in essence to the earth. And we know that his end is going to be the eternal lake of fire that will come upon him in the, at the end of time. We haven't reached yet. Uh, but he comes bringing a charge in a sense against this guy named Job that he's been on the earth and he's been all over the place and, and, and even Satan acknowledges uh, and God accepts it, his evaluation as being a very exceptional man upon the earth who apparently really loves God and is obedient to God and, and all of that. And, and Satan, he's called the adversary we need to understand that he is our adversary that he would love to chew us up and spit us out same thing was true with job and he has brought false accusations against job and one of those was this is that the only reason that god that job is such a great and and righteous man is because god has given him so much because god has been so good to him he's put a hedge around him and protected him from even the evil one So God has granted permission, restricted permission, for Satan, in essence, to have his way with Job. Anything is gain but one thing. Satan cannot touch Job's own body. But anything that he has is in the ballpark other than that. Well, as we look around this morning, we know this. We know that we all have had bad days in our life. Days when bad news has fallen upon us or days when this, that, or the other has happened that has distressed us in ways that we never possibly even imagined we could be distressed. We all know what it means to have a, not just a bad day, but we all know what it means to have a really, really bad day at the end of which you just feel beaten up and discouraged, etc., etc., etc. 
Job is about to experience the worst day that anybody in history has ever had with the exception of Jesus Christ. Calamity actually four waves of not little insignificant things, but things that are very central, things that are, that they don't touch Job's body directly, but they touch Job in every other way imaginable. Mentally, emotionally, all devices used by the evil one for the purpose of pushing him far enough that because he knows that God could have prevented all of the things that are about to happen to him, Satan believing that by bringing these calamities on this faithful brother, that in the end of the day, that Job will curse God for all of it. Four successive waves of unbelievable anguish. Beginning with verse 13 in chapter 1. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. We've talked about this already. This was their habit. They did this on a regular basis. These family gatherings, where they were just filled with joy and celebration because of their great prosperity. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robes and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Life was good. Life was really good. Not just for Job. For the people that he held most dear, the people he loved the very most. Remember, he's been described by God and it accepted as being as being a righteous man among people. One of the things that we should draw from this is this is that when calamity falls upon us, it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's because we've done something wrong. 
People have, an, have, have this idea that this, this is, you know, that everything that, that happens to me that's bad, it happens specifically because something I did wrong. It's God's way of punishing me for doing something I've done. We need to understand something, that that is a lie of the evil one from the pit of hell, and it smells like smoke. So we need not fall into that trap. So I would encourage you that whenever you have one of those days, these really, really, really bad days, it might be a good time for you to open up your Bible and read the story about Job all over again. You need to understand that as a Christian, you have a target on your back. Satan would love to eat you up, chew you up, and spit you out. And the only thing that keeps that from happening with every passing moment is the grace of God supporting you in the middle of it. He is our great adversary. If you try to stand against Satan by yourself, you will fail. He has power over you. You have no power over him. But whatever power he has over you is limited by God. The Bible, the New Testament, describes him as a roaring lion who prowls around looking for someone to devour. So be very careful when it comes to this sort of thing. But you get these four waves of calamities, and every one of these is not just a little thing. They're all major things. We don't stop to think about sometimes the real advantages that we have living in the day that we live in. We've had a very active hurricane season already, and praise God, we haven't really been affected much by it. But there are other people in the United States that have been, people in Texas and Louisiana and even the extreme panhandle in Florida and in Alabama. Can you think of what it was like a hundred years ago? Maybe a little more than a hundred years ago. Not even that long. When hurricanes descended upon people, they didn't know they were coming until they were there. Today, they can even sometimes predict when earthquakes are going to happen. I mean, we have a decided advantage over people that have lived in all of history. We're talking about a little teeny inkling of history for, when you compare it to all of the history of mankind that we've been able very often to know in advance so we can prepare for calamities that are about to fall upon us. Can you imagine stuff like this just bam, 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 out of total bliss? Your life is one extreme in the morning, and by the end of the day, it is on the other end of the scale. 
Now, eventually, things are going to go bad as far as Job's own physical body. But for now, Job hasn't been affected physically by anything. But everything else... Of course, his wife is saved from all of these things. How do we know that? Because she appears when we get into the dialogue that's going to take place. But other than that, he's lost everything. In one day, everything that people would consider to be dear to him. And Job knows God. Job knows that God is the one who has protected him from Satan all along. So he knows that for whatever reason, God has actually allowed these things to happen to him. We've talked about how very often the ancient Near East and certain places in the world today, your wealth very often is determined by livestock and, 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 and land ownings. And we concluded when we were studying this before that Job might have very well been the richest person on the world. Or he was really way up there. Maybe some of the kings in places had more stuff than he did, but he had a whole bunch of stuff for a common man. And very often in ancient Near East, the wealth of a person was determined by how much livestock you had. And we studied this already. They had 500 oxen and 500 female donkeys. And all of a sudden, the Sabians descended upon those herds and, and, and the people that were taking care of them. and took all of the animals away and killed all of the people that were watching over them. Now I would imagine that, that Joe put some stock in his oxen and his donkeys. It was maybe it was upsetting that they were gone, but you know what I think? I think it probably hit home a lot deeper for Job that his attendants, his servants that were watching over those animals were killed. Job was a righteous man, and I would imagine that those who served him loved him because he was kind and generous and caring toward them. Why? Because he really cared about them. I would imagine in Job's household that his servants weren't really treated like servants. They probably were treated like sons and daughters and grandchildren. So what I would say to you is this, is yeah, you know, you losing the animals was a bad thing, but I would imagine the most heart-wrenching aspect of this whole thing was he lost dear and beloved friends and as far as he was concerned, family in this. 
that he would have gladly given those animals away to save the lives of those people who were serving him. He was a great and wonderful. It was probably a pleasure. It was probably a delight for the people that served him to serve him. I would imagine they loved him just as much as he loved them. I have known people in positions of authority through my, through my years, and I've known some that they, that, you know, people that have worked for other people who couldn't stand the people they work for because they were treated very poorly by that particular person. Very often, people in power, they rule over those below them by scaring, keeping, keeping them in fear of them. That's how they manage them. That's how they manipulate them to get them to do what they want them to do. We can't believe for one minute that is how Job conducted his business. The people that worked for him, the people who worked with him, loved him, and he loved them too. He lost dear friends, in essence, family before things even got any further. But that wasn't enough. Next came the sheep. 7,000 sheep. 7,000 sheep. That was, that was his herd. You notice here, it wasn't people who came. There was fire that came down from heaven, fire from God. That struck down the sheep. I don't know about you, I know some people are very afraid of lightning. We know a lady that, boy, if there's any lightning and going on anywhere nearby, she's in the middle of the house, as far in the middle, close to the middle of the house as she can get, and anybody that's there is there with her in a huddle because they're terrified of lightning. You know exactly what this was. Was this like this flame that came out of nowhere and consumed all the sheep or was it something like lightning or whatever? But we do know this. It wasn't even if it was lightning. It wasn't ordinary lightning. This was supernatural lightning. You can't even imagine a lightning bolt striking down 7,000 sheep in one strike. I'm not sure a lightning bolt like that has ever hit earth anywhere that I know of. That something of that magnitude has actually taken place. Even though we do know that people do get struck, struck by lightning on occasion. And that sort of thing. The interesting thing here is this is that fire did not only kill Job's sheep, it also killed the shepherds. If Job was upset before, he is really upset now. And we know this, that Job knows something that underlines all of this. 
that whether it's directly or indirectly, God is the one behind all of this. And Job knows it. You can imagine at this point he's saying, why? Why, why, why? Why me? Here I am, I've been so faithful to you, my fame goes out through the whole world. I'm noted as being the most godly man, even by Satan himself. So he's having those thoughts of why, God, have you at the very least allowed this to happen? And then the worst news that any parent could possibly ever receive comes to him. Up to this, it's only involved his material possessions and people that work for him. But now it strikes at the very heart of his family. The people that he knows, the people that he loves the very most in all of the world. And I have no doubt that he would willingly, desiringly given his own life to prevent this. As a matter of fact, I would imagine he would have much rather given his own life than to have to deal with a grief that is about to slam him to the ground. Devastating news. When some, and something that's not mentioned here is this, is okay, the brothers, the seven brothers, I think it was, and the three sisters got together, and they had these parties, and, they, and, the, old, and the brothers kept, took turns, and, you know, very, obviously, it could very well be a birthday party that's going on there, so the whole family's there. And I just want to challenge it with the idea this morning, it wasn't just the sons and their wives and their daughters and their husbands. But I think it would not be a stretch for us to assume that that house was also filled up with grandchildren. I mean, can you think of a family gathering of this, this prosperous, wealthy family? It would be crazy for us to believe that, that out of all these kids, there were no grandkids. So we don't know for certain, but I would say it'd be crazy for us to jump to the conclusion that's not likely. I would say it's more than likely that even Job's grandchildren were here. And maybe if maybe they were even old enough, there could have been some great-grandchildren. Who knows? We don't know how old anybody was at that time. See, I would say to you, this is Job. 
he got slapped upside the head every way you can possibly imagine in a way that no one else in all of history has. With the exception of Jesus. Let me ask you something. What are the first thoughts that go through your head and your heart when you hear bad news? One of those is certainly why. And very often it's why me? Why me? Why have I got to bear this hurt? The fact of the matter is no one can tell you that why. The only one that knows that why is God himself. But in every opportunity that we are faced with calamity, it puts us in a position to honor God from a place that we would never do that otherwise. You see, people expect us to worship and praise God and to love God when things are going well. But it's the testimony of believers in the midst of very great trial and tribulation that very often is key in reaching the hardened hearts of other people. Because they look upon you and they say, you should be hurting, you should be grieving, you should be held down by all of this, but you're not. And the only conclusion they can come to is this, is you must know something or you must know someone that I don't. You have something to lean on that I just don't have. But it's something I want. It's something I need. Where does it come from? I'm a big fan of Stonewall Jackson. Some of you know who he is and some of you don't know who he is. Some of you probably have a really negative view of him. He obviously, he evidently was a very quirky guy. Strange guy. Almost like a social freak. He was, most people would have described him just as odd. A little bit off plumb. Most of you know that eventually, you know, he was, a, he was a general for the Confederate Army during the Civil War and very successful as a general. But he died from friendly fire, not even during battle. His own men shot him. I love him for a lot of reasons, and one of those is was he was a devoted Presbyterian. <laughs> After he had been a Baptist, 
first. But he was a man that knew real tragedy in life. Took him some time to wed, because like we said, he was a really odd person. But he fell in love with a lady named Ellie. They were married not long after she was pregnant. She died giving birth to a stillborn son. Right after that, he wrote a letter to his sister named Laura. And this is what he said. I've been called to pass through the deep waters of affliction. But all has been satisfied. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Where did he get that from? From Job. Stonewall Jackson knew his Bible. It is his will that my dearest wife and child should no longer abide with me. I am perfectly reconciled to the sad bereavement, though I deeply mourn my loss. My dearest Ellie breathed her last on Sunday evening, the same day on which the child was born dead. Oh, the consolation of religion. I am willing, uh, I can willingly submit anything if God strengthens me. He went on and was married again and had a daughter. But don't you love that heart? Don't you want to have a heart like that? I don't know about you, but the first, every time something happens that really is upsetting to me, I want to take my fist and shake it in God's face. Because I know this. I know that God can prevent all of it. He could keep me from ever hurting again at all for any reason, in any way, shape, or form. He could do it. It's in his power. But the truth of the matter is this, is that without Things like this, without suffering, there are lessons that you and I need to learn, must learn, that we will never, ever learn without it. And let me tell you, when you're grieving, your Heavenly Father is grieving far more for you than you have any inkling of. But being the great and glorious Father to you that he is, he will not withhold even the things that hurt you most from you because you need them. 
But don't ever doubt that he is not there with you in the middle of all of it. He is there holding your hand, bearing you up, and he will carry you through. The most amazing things at the end of by far the very worst day that Joe possibly ever had in his life or even could have believed would ever happen or even conceive of. What does he do? He worships. He doesn't blame God. Is he, is he confused at this point? You bet he is. Does he have wonderings or doubts about this, that, and the other? You bet he does. But what does he do? He falls down and he worships God. He tears his clothes. Do you understand what that means? doesn't mean much to us. If, someone was just, if we saw somebody tear their clothes, we'd think they'd lost their mind. But in those days, it was common. It was, it was an outward expression, a tearing of your clothing, an outward expression of the tearing of your heart that has taken place. And they did this. We see some other examples of this in Scripture. Ezra, when he found out that the covenant people had not separated themselves from the people of the land, what did he do? He, he tore his clothes. Reuben, the brother of Joseph and the other ten, remember that, that at one point they had put Joseph down in this, this well or this pit or whatever, and for some reason Reuben had left, and while he was gone, it's when they sold Joseph into the hands of the Ishmaelites, and Reuben comes back looking for Joseph, and he can't find him, and they tell him what they did, and what does he do? He tears his clothes. Because his heart is torn. Well, let me tell you something, that God is doing it right along with you. that he hurts every bit as much, if not more, for, the, for you than you hurt for yourself. As we said before, none of us in this room doubts for one minute that if, if Job could have given his own life and saved all of this, he would have done it in a heartbeat. the fact of the matter is Job's not in control and neither are you and neither am I. God is. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. You think the world is messed up now? How messed up do you think it would be if I was in control of everything? The fact of the matter is this, is everything that you consider to be yours is actually his. Everything. We talk about my car. It is not your car. I talk about my house. It is not my house. I talk about my wife. Well, she is my wife, but I don't own her. 
She's not a piece of my property. Everything that you call yours is actually his. Everything. Not just 10%. All of it. Every bit of it. And every bit of it's been given to you for a reason. You are the overseer of God's possessions. To use not for your own well-being exclusively, not to make yourself prosperous and upstanding among people and things like that, but all of it, every bit of it, in some way, shape, or form, he gives to you for his own glory that you would use it in a way that he would be honored and glorified by it all. Your house is not your haven to get away from everyone. Your house is a place for other people to come to to see that you have something maybe they don't have. Your car is for a lot of things, but one of the primary reasons for you having, you having a car is to get you here on Sunday morning. And to be about your father's business and the world around us. Doing, going here, there, and yonder. Remember, everything you do, everywhere you go, has something to do. You're on God's mission for some reason or another. What I'm saying here is this. It's because of that truth... We ought to, as much as possible, dedicate everything to uses that bring glory to God and not to ourselves. Everything. Not just that 10%. It's all His. He gave it every bit to you, and He has every right to take absolutely every bit of it back from you anytime he decides he wants to do that without explaining anything to you. He's entrusted you with those things to manage those things, not for your own benefit exclusively, some of it is to that degree, but in everything that you would bring glory to him. Another thing, and this is what John Calvin says about all this. He said, we must be persuaded that God does nothing without reason. And we may not know what those reasons are. The reason may not be clear to us. The reason may be a mystery to us for the rest of eternity. That we have to have confidence in the fact that that in everything that happens to us, God has real and very good reasons. Period. And that's where our confidence has to lie. I mean, we have this idea that when tragedy falls upon us, God's just kind of abandoned me or he doesn't care about me. That's just not it at all. We're missing the point completely. Completely. 
that every time something catastrophic happens to you, it puts you in a place where you can minister to other people in a way that you never would without it. Other people that go through the same things that you have, now you have an opportunity to come alongside them and help them get through that tragedy. Just remember what Satan charged against Job was the only reason that he worshipped and served God was because God had been so good to him. That was the whole premise behind all of this. That Job loved God just because God had bribed him with a good life. Satan's charge was false. Job proved that. Job loved God because simply because he is God. He is therefore worthy of our praise, our devotion, our love. Period. Regardless of what life brings our way. People today have such a very small view of God, even most of the people who would say they believe in God. And there's a lot of people today who say they don't. But sadly, the view that people have of God in general today is a very small view. They think very little of God. But the Bible declares to us this. That God is almighty. And that all covers everything. Absolutely almighty. There is nothing, there is no power that has any f bearing upon him at all. God has also foreordained everything, absolutely everything that comes to pass, and that even means the calamities that take place in our own lives. I know that a lot of you at one time or another have felt like you've been abandoned by loved ones. Very often mothers, fathers, maybe brothers and sisters, husbands, wives, children, etc., etc., But we have solace in one thing. And that is knowing that God will never, ever leave me. He will never depart from me. Ever. Everything that happens in your life happens because God has determined that it would. Every inkling of it. 
And as hard as it is to believe or even imagine, we must always remember that it is always what's best for us. And that's a hard one. I mean, it really, really is. But you see, the problem is this, is we don't have the whole picture. Where we're at, we've got some information, but we don't have hardly enough information to put the whole picture together at all. I have no doubt about this, that one of these days you and I are going to understand a lot that we don't know now, and then we'll say, uh-huh, wow, it's a good thing that that happened. Because look at what else happened as a result of that. How many other people were blessed in some ways because of that particular thing? Understand that it all comes down to this. It comes down to trust. Trusting in the providence of Almighty God or trusting in our own very limited understanding of things. To trust. Stop cutting God short. And he will use you in ways to touch the lives of other people that you would never be able to touch. Your hurting, your suffering is always for reasons. Good reasons. It may not feel like it. It may not seem like it. You might not be able to make any sense of it at all. But your hurting and suffering is never to no avail. Ever. Ever.